You're listening to the Made for Living Well podcast, episode number 254, and today kicks off the sex talk. I couldn't be more excited to dive into the series. It's 10 weeks talking everything you need to know about creating healthier sexual wellness. And today we start the show by changing the story of sex. This is the Made for Living Well podcast, hosted by Alexa Sherm the place to create a life well-lived. Welcome back to this podcast. As always, my name's Alexa, and this is a place where I believe you were made for living well. And today marks the beginning of a new conversation all about sexual wellness. I know it seems a little far-fetched from my normal nutrition talks, but honestly, when we look at the health of the whole of who we are, sexual wellness is an integral part of that. In fact, we're going to learn it combines the whole of who we are. And so today we're going to kick off this podcast series, which launches every single Wednesday by changing the story and the paradigm of health so that we can start to create a new story in health. And this is going to be really important moving forward in this entire series. Now, this summer, we do have some amazing sponsors for the show, and Athletic Greens happens to be one of those sponsors that I'm honored to talk about on the show, mostly because they have truly changed my health. Now, I did a little experiment with AG1, and later on this podcast, I will share how they changed my health. Spoiler alert. I have gotten rid of 10 of my 12 supplements because of this product, saving me hundreds of dollars a month and thousands of dollars a year, and I don't want you to miss out. Plus, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash made for living. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash made for living to take ownership over your health and pick up that ultimate daily nutritional insurance that has truly transformed my own health. Stay tuned as I share how. Plus, I love having Athletic Greens on as well as all of my sponsors because they truly do support sexual wellness, which is the conversation we're having all summer long. And speaking of sexual wellness, let's get right to today's guest, who is Carly Palmer Webb. She's a sexuality research and educator, graduating with a master's degree in marriage, family, and human development, with an emphasis in gender and sexuality. She has spent the last five years researching sex and providing a new message, especially in the Christian space, to see sex as good, to love your body, embrace your sexual nature as a gift from God, and to enjoy healthy sexual relationships. Carly works online through her website, The Christian Sex Educator, and you can find her at thechristiansexeducator.com or on social media at The Christian Sex Educator. She has some amazing classes and even a free course you should snag. It's three days to better sex mini course for couples. I'd also suggest you check out her newlywed course, which is not just for newlyweds. Carly is an amazing wealth of knowledge, and she is really working to change the narrative around sex, and I cannot wait for you to hear today's show. So let's welcome Carly to the show. Welcome to the show, Carly. I'm so glad to have you on and kick off this new series that we're doing. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Okay. So we're just going to get to the heart of the issue because 
I think we have to go there and not skirt around these topics any longer. Um, but there's a lot of fear and guilt and shame associated with the sexual wellness, even talking about it, you know, and I think we need to open up to have these conversations and see even where God fits into this picture. So can you talk more about why this is important to you and how do we start adding God into the picture in a healthy way into what sexual wellness is and what that means? Mm -hmm. Such a good question. It's, it's important to me because our sexuality is such a huge part of our growth and our life. And however we decide to express that or engage in sexual behaviors, it's a pretty significant part of who we are and, Mm -hmm. and our relationships, but specifically within Christianity or other conservative religions, it's always been kind of hush hush. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so there are just all of these couples, all of these individuals who are struggling so much with sexual health and developing healthy sexual relationships just because they don't know how to do it and they don't know where to find good information. So I'm just really trying to help people find information and learn how to have the kind of sexual relationships that they want. Yeah. I think it's so important. And I talk to my friends a lot about this is like, you know, before marriage in the Christian communities and a lot of other communities, it's so bad, you know, and, and then on your wedding night, it turns good. And it's such a confusing thing inside your brain. that something for years you've been telling yourself is not okay. And don't have those desires. And then all of a sudden you're just supposed to turn it on. Like it, it feels impossible. And I think so yeah. many women especially already are told that they don't have a libido or the libido is lower than men and that we should just give to men. But like, it's so messed up when we start to think about it. Like, how do we start to talk about having a healthy sexual desire and what that means, um, for men and for women? Mm -hmm. Well, I think you're right that, that flipping that switch just on the wedding night is Mm -hmm. impossible for most people. Mm -hmm. So I think the first step is Working when we're younger, even if we're choosing to wait until marriage or or if you're choosing to wait until marriage, you can learn when you're younger about healthy sexual development mm-hmm. and acknowledge that all of us actually do have sexual desire. We experience sexual arousal long before we're sexually active. Mm-hmm. And that education has to start young. Part of the reason that I think women especially struggle with low desire is because they're taught from a young age, like you mentioned, that all women have low desire, which isn't true. But also, especially within these more conservative communities, they're taught to really suppress it you know, more so than the men, you know, we hear things about, oh, boys will be boys. You know, we acknowledge that they're going to be attracted to people and that they're going to experience sexual desire, but we don't spend time talking to young women and girls about sexual desire. So these conversations really have to start when we're younger, Mm -hmm. but then for those of us that are already in adulthood and we're already in long-term relationships, there really does need to be a re-education 
Mm-hmm. Maybe you didn't get much education, so it wouldn't yeah. even classify as a re-education. Yeah, right. <laughs> Just education. To, yeah, right. We have to yeah. pursue an education for ourselves to kind of replace whatever negative messages we learned mm-hmm. growing up. One of which is that women have no desire or at least very little desire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which let's just go there because I mean, in working in the health space and when you really dive into it, it's not that women don't have a libido or a desire. It's just different than men's, but there is this big notion. And I think a lot of women do want to increase their libido and their desire. Um, how, how do you suggest, or how do you help someone to do that? Mm-hmm. It's a good question. The the first thing that I recommend women understand about their desire is, well, first that all types of desire are normal. So women wanting sex multiple times a day is normal. Women wanting sex pretty much never also normal. Yeah. Yeah. The whole <laughs> spectrum is normal. Um, but then, like you said, women do experience desire that looks somewhat different from the stereotypical male desire. Mm-hmm. Um, Emily Nagoski, who is one of the most incredible sex researchers that we currently have access to, mm-hmm. um, she teaches about the difference between responsive and spontaneous desire. Mm. And for a lot of women, understanding the different types of desire helps them to see that they're not actually low desire. Mm-hmm. their desire just looks different than they mm-hmm. expected it to. So just to give a quick overview of what these are, spontaneous desire, as you can assume from the name, is when the desire for sex just kind of pops into your mind or you see your spouse or there's this other sexual cue and you're just like, ooh, sex. And sometimes yeah. there's not even a sexual cue, but you just randomly want sex throughout the day. And that's the type of desire that we kind of all want maybe, Mm -hmm. or that we've seen portrayed in the media. Right. But there's like the assumed desire. Yeah, totally, totally. And so women expect themselves to experience this spontaneous desire and some do, but many don't. Mm -hmm. And when they don't experience that type, they think that they don't experience desire at all. Mm -hmm. But there's this other type, responsive desire, which just means that sexual arousal, physical arousal happens before the desire for sex happens. Mm -hmm. So responsive desire is when you're watching a romantic movie and your body starts to get aroused in a kissing scene or a love scene. And then you want sex because Mm -hmm. your body is aroused or you start kissing your partner and you start to get a little excited and then you want sex, but only in those settings, right? Mm -hmm. Only when you're experiencing sexual arousal first, that type of desire is much more prevalent for women than for men, but we don't talk about it very often. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, (laughs) I'm surprised it's more prevalent in women than men, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Women need to understand that responsive desire is still desire. If you mm-hmm. don't think about sex randomly throughout the day, but then when you start making out with your person and you want sex after you experience arousal, you're, you're great. That's golden. Yeah. We can work with that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to change anything. So I'd uh-huh. say that's the first step. Uh-huh. Increasing desire for 
people who really are low desire is kind of a tricky thing because there are so many different things that impact Mm -hmm. desire. I mean, everything from physical health and energy levels and of course, relational factors, how we're feeling with our partner, if we're feeling connected and comfortable. And then, you know, there's just environmental factors. It's like, ah, there's too many things. Mm -hmm. The impact desire, it can be difficult to try and figure it out. Medications is a big Mm -hmm. one. Depression and anxiety medications specifically are notorious libido killers. So Mm -hmm. those kinds of things can impact desire in pretty significant ways. So if you do feel like you have low desire, the first thing that I would recommend is start educating yourself about what things can impact desire. Mm -hmm. Like I said, there, there are a lot of them, but then just choose, pick one or two that may impact desire for you and make small shifts. If it's Mm -hmm. energy levels for you, try to do something to give yourself more energy, which I mean, that's a whole nother conversation and you're probably more suited for that one, Alexa, but, but just try to find something that, you know, will impact desire, do some research on what things impact desire and then make small shifts. Mm -hmm. Desire really is more malleable than, Mm -hmm. than we often think about, or -hmm. than we often realize we sometimes kind of talk about desire. Like it just is I'm low desire or I'm high desire. That's just how I am, but it's definitely malleable. Yeah. Yeah. I I heard a saying that it's desire isn't about having it or not having it. It's how you cultivate it. And I thought Mm -hmm. that was so good Mm -hmm. of like, it's there kind of like our energy. It's like, what are you going to do it? Like, how are you going to nourish it in a way mm-hmm. to, to come out. Do you feel like men equally struggle with di- desire or do you think it, again, it's just a different thing? Because I think in this space, we often hear like, oh, uh, the men want it give to the man. Like they're always, but are they really always on? <laughs> no, no. I mean, some men probably are. There are men who are really high desire mm-hmm. and research does support that on average men experience more desire for sex or experience sex, the desire for sex more often Mm -hmm. than women on average. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. But there are so many low desire men. Mm -hmm. I get asked questions all the time about how to navigate the discrepancy in a relationship where the woman is the higher desire partner. It's really, really prevalent for that Mm -hmm. to be the dynamic. Mm Tons of men struggle with low desire. I shouldn't even say struggle. Tons of men experience Experience. low desire. And it's normal for every couple to have some sort of discrepancy in desire. Mm -hmm. But really often the woman is the higher desire partner. Yeah, I I think that's so fascinating. And that's like the research that I've done too on on this whole topic is like, a lot of times women are higher desire than men. It's just like not what you hear about. So again, when these things aren't normalized or quote unquote socially acceptable, we don't tend to have conversations around them. And then, you know, I think we all just think, well, what's wrong with me? You know, like yeah. when a woman's higher desire than their man, than their, you know, partner, or it's it's kind of like, well, is there something wrong with me? Do you not like me? Am I not attractive enough? You know, I think we start to go and start to assume a lot of things that are untrue. 
But when it comes to, when it comes to those discrepancies, how do you help people come together on that? It's like any recommendation for any struggle in marriage. The first thing that we're always going to say is communication. (laughs) Right. Because you might not even know, right? Yeah. Right. The biggest things for discrepancy in desire are education and communication. Mm -hmm. A discrepancy in desire isn't a problem, Mm -hmm. but we often view it as one. We and make so it a shift. really big problem sometimes. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like the biggest. Like, <laughs> like once you attach, like, well, I must not be good enough or I must not look like that opens up a whole door. Like when we start assuming things, like oh, all yeah. kinds of problems can flood in then, right? But totally. Yeah. Like and it's said, just, it's not it's just our case. thoughts, yeah. right? The uh-huh. meaning that we're attaching to the discrepancy. So education can really help with the meaning that we assign to the discrepancy. Mm -hmm. If we understand that a discrepancy is totally normal, that a relationship, a heterosexual relationship where the woman is a higher desired partner is totally normal, or a relationship where there's a a partner that wants to have sex multiple times a day and the other partner hardly ever wants to have sex, Mm -hmm. like these dynamics are really, really normal. And when we recognize that it's easier mm-hmm. not to blame ourselves or mm-hmm. our partner yeah. for that dynamic. Mm-hmm. So that's the first step. But then, I mean, like anything in marriage, there's a compromise or anything in a relationship. You talk openly and often mm-hmm. about your sexual desire. Why do you want to have sex? How often do you want to have sex? What things lead to sexual desire for you? Those are all things that you should share with your partner. Mm. And then you just kind of have to decide a frequency that will work for both of you, where the lower desire partner doesn't feel pressured or coerced Mm. or forced, of course. Mm. And the higher desire partner doesn't feel totally neglected. And of course we can't control our partner's feelings, but there, there needs to be some compromise here. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes the lower desire partner kind of controls the frequency in a relationship Mm. because we believe in consent and they should never have to have sex when they Mm -hmm. don't want to. So they kind of have control and it's, it's up to the lower desire partner in some ways to work towards that compromise with the higher desire partner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're just opening the door to have conversations because that's really what it boils down to is often the things that we're wondering inside our head, maybe we're not asking because we're scared and, you know, it's, it feels threatening sometimes to even bring it up because I think sometimes when we get into this communication, especially when our desires are differently, or maybe something arouses you that's different, or maybe it feels embarrassing because it's not socially acceptable. How do you help someone open the door to a conversation with their spouse about, about this information? Because that alone feels threatening. And sometimes I think when the mm-hmm. door is open and you do it and you start to do it, it makes it easier, but How do you take those initial steps? You're right. It does get easier. Mm -hmm. I often recommend that you lead out with, I really want our sex life to be better. Yeah. It's just really hard. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's hard Uh to respond to that negatively. Like, yeah, right, right. um, No, (laughs) I don't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So just say, 
listen, I want to talk to you about something because I want our sex life to be better. Mm -hmm. And I think talking about it will help just saying that straight out. You lead with something positive. You lead with the goal in mind, not maybe what you're struggling with or what you're afraid about. And that can help set the tone for a good conversation. The other thing is often if it feels so uncomfortable for you to bring this up, which is understandable, especially for those of us who grew up with very little sex education Mm -hmm. and didn't learn how to communicate about these things. If that's really scary for you, um, I would just blame it on someone else. That sounds bad, but be like, I saw this thing on Instagram today and I want to talk to you about it. Or I read this article Uh and I want to talk to you about it. That can help a lot of couples, especially when they start just Mm -hmm. to kind of get over the hump of bringing it up. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Kind of shifting that off the pressure off of you onto someone else. So you can totally use both of us to bring up these conversations. <laughs> Blame Carly or Alexa that uh, said you have to start talking about this. I but listened can, to this yeah, podcast today. Yeah. Right? And- yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think too, though, you know, and this series, I'm really encouraging both sexes to listen to it because I think it's important that we know each other and understand that we're different and we Mm -hmm. should have different desires and the way our body's going to respond is differently. And it's not one is better than the other. It's just understanding the differences and learning how to come together. Like, what do you feel like are some of those common narratives that we have and the space that like maybe some of those myths that you would want to break that just open the door to help us see that, you know, it's okay to come together. Like we can be different Mm -hmm. and still make this work. Do you have a couple of like myths in mind or like big, big ideas? Like one of the ones I'm thinking of is like pleasure and, you know, men, um, sex is for pleasure for men, but women don't tend to experience the same pleasure. And I mean, there's alarming research out there that, you know, women aren't experiencing pleasure from sex and it -hmm. should be equally pleasurable. Correct. Oh, absolutely. And if anything, not that we need to compare, but if anything, women have more capacity for sexual pleasure than men Mm -hmm. because they're able to orgasm over and over and over Mm -hmm. and over with no refractory period, with no break like is required Uh for men. Um, So the pleasure, I mean, there are several myths in the pleasure realm, but one of the big ones is that both women and men should reach orgasm from intercourse. Mm. And a lot of the research that we see about the orgasm gap and women not being able to reach orgasm, it's not because they're not capable. It's because they expect to experience pleasure or experience orgasm from the same things Mm -hmm. that help their husband get there. Mm -hmm. And different bodies require different things. So, So that's a big one. The other maybe I wouldn't even call this a myth, but maybe just misunderstanding is that they think that it will take them or should take them the same amount of time. Yeah. On average, I mean, depending on the research study, it's like 
three to seven minutes for men from the beginning of stimulation of their penis until they reach orgasm. Mm -hmm. For women, it takes on average 20 minutes of Mm -hmm. direct stimulation of the clitoris in order to reach orgasm. Mm -hmm. And understanding that, that that's normal and required, and you just have different bodies, so they require different things, can take a lot of the pressure off of women to to hurry or, you know, and, and then it helps the couple to really engage in her pleasure in the way that will lead to not just orgasm, but an enjoyable experience for her. Mm -hmm. And they can also engage in behaviors that will help the husband have a good and enjoyable experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pleasure is just different for different bodies and that's okay. It's a Mm -hmm. good thing. Yeah. How do you help women who maybe haven't orgasmed or experienced that? How do you, how do you start that process of teaching them how to do this, how to get themselves to a place where it is pleasurable? And, Mm -hmm. and then, I mean, I think further, you know, like if you've had one orgasm, how do you become multi or or orgasmic? Mm -hmm. Such a good question. So when I'm trying to help a woman who's never experienced orgasm before, the first step is kind of determining what they understand about their own anatomy. Mm. So you, you kind of have the full range. You have newlyweds who have grown up in purity culture, who don't actually know that they have a clitoris and they don't know where it is. Yeah. Right. All the way to women who've been married for 10, 15 years who know their anatomy really well and have tried all the things that they know to try and are still struggling to reach orgasm. Mm. For those who still aren't really aware of their anatomy, Mm. the first step is again, education. Mm -hmm. They need to be able to visually identify their own clitoris. Mm -hmm. They need to understand that it takes 20 minutes of clitoral stimulation on average for women to reach orgasm. And they need to understand what kind of stimulation can be pleasurable Mm -hmm. because the clitoris is really sensitive. And a lot of women are like, I don't like it being touched because it feels too much, you know? So they need to learn the types of touch that can be pleasurable in this context. If it aligns with your beliefs and values, self-exploration can be really helpful. Even if your partner is there, if that makes Mm -hmm. you feel more comfortable, just touching your own clitoris can be helpful as you try to learn what types of pleasure or what types of touch lead to pleasure. Yeah. For women who have tried all the things who have, (laughs) you know, read the books and they know their clitters well, and their husband is willing, but they still aren't getting there. Um, I often, recommend or work with them more on other factors, environmental and Mm -hmm. mental factors Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. women, especially sex is a full experience of mind and body and heart. Mm -hmm. They need to experience connection and they need to feel loved and, and they need to feel comfortable and safe in their body. The other thing is a lot of women kind of have a mental block still about sexual pleasure if they grew up feeling like they couldn't express it or they shouldn't feel Mm -hmm. sexual pleasure. 
when you shove it down enough, it can be hard to open yourself up to that pleasure. So a lot of, a lot of this orgasm journey is just trying to identify what things about your sexual experience are maybe not ideal for you right now. Are you feeling loved? Are you feeling safe? Are you feeling connected? Are you feeling free Mm. or are you kind of feeling shut down? Mm -hmm. And all of those things will impact our ability to feel pleasure. Mm-hmm. A racing mind is mm-hmm. a really yeah. big one for a lot of women, especially moms. You know, mm-hmm. there's just life is busy. There's so many mm-hmm. things to do. But research does show that if we're not able to focus our mind on what's happening in the moment, if we're not able to focus our mind on the sexual experience with our spouse, we don't pick up sexual cues. Our body doesn't respond to sexual cues. So without being focused on the sexual experience, we can't experience the full range of sexual pleasure. So that's a big one. You just have to identify what parts of that sexual relationship or experience aren't what you want them to be yet and focus your efforts on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then someone who wants to be multi-orgasmic that, I mean, oh, yeah. I, I think you hear of people talking about that, but I mean, a, li- a lot of women are like, it feels impossible yeah. to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was totally there. Yeah. <laughs> I remember after, after I got married, I had waited until marriage to have sex. And then I, well, I was, a sex researcher already before mm-hmm. I got married. So I felt pretty confident. I was like, yeah. I know <laughs> what leads to an orgasm. It'll be fine. I knew that it would take a little bit of time to figure it yeah. out because even if you have the right knowledge, yeah, it still takes time to learn your body. But gosh, it was, I'm like months and months into the marriage. And I'm like, I know this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I should be able to figure out this multi-orgasm thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember talking to, I sort of have no filter, which yeah. <laughs> is maybe a good thing in my line of work. But I remember talking to some of my sisters and some of my friends and I'm like, have any of you figured this out and what's going on? Because I've yeah. read all the research, I've done yeah. the studies, but still can't figure it out. And, um, I think a lot of women, especially those who haven't experienced orgasm consistently, one, one orgasm consistently are so frustrated by the idea that women can experience multiple. As far as I can tell for the women who've been able to achieve it and based on the research, it seems like there's a lot of difference Mm. in how women experience more than one orgasm. For some women, it's just the same type of stimulation again. Mm. The same type of stimulation that got you to your first first orgasm, that will get you to your second one. Mm -hmm. For some women, it's different because once you experience an orgasm, there's a lot more blood in your vulva. Yeah. Your clitoris is a lot more sensitive. So it, some women are like, do not touch me again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go there. For those women, I would just encourage you to, to wait it out. Mm-hmm. Right. Turn your focus to your husband's pleasure for a little while. 
the back and forth focusing Mm -hmm. on each other's pleasure can be a really enjoyable experience. Mm -hmm. So, so switch, focus Mm -hmm. on your husband's pleasure for a little bit. And after a few minutes, then try to return the focus Mm -hmm. to your pleasure and see if it's a little less sensitive. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say is for a lot of women, introducing a vibrator Mm -hmm. during sex is quite um, quite impactful. I don't know how to say this as, as intensely as I need to. It's a game changer for a lot of women. (laughs) Um, and even if you don't want a vibrator to be a part of your sex life every time or Mm -hmm. for forever, Mm -hmm. using a vibrator can help you to understand what type of stimulation will lead to orgasms. A lot of women who use vibrators are able to reach, are able to be Mm multi-orgasmic. Whereas women who are in a sexual relationship where a vibrator isn't present, which is of course totally fine too. It's just personal preference. They seem to have a harder time, or at least it takes longer Mm -hmm. to learn how to orgasm multiple times in a row. So if you're open to a vibrator, Mm -hmm. that might be a way that you can learn to reach orgasm for the first time Mm -hmm. or learn to have several orgasms in one sexual encounter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think some women just get nervous about that idea or, Mm -hmm. you know, again, we can go back to purity culture and we can have all these questions like, is it right? Is it wrong? But I, I also think it comes back to misunderstanding what men are really looking for in the encounter. And I did a little poll of like, um, and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a super big, uh, like study, but it was like a little bit and like, you know, 99% of men are looking for the female to achieve. They're looking to give, yeah. right? Like yeah. that's what, and I think we miss that in this kind of, we, we switch those roles a little bit, but I think that makes it a little bit easier to understand, like, this isn't necessarily a tool that replaces because they never will. I mean, biologically no. speaking, none of that ever is going to replace the physical connection that really is sexual intimacy and what we're looking for. Yeah. Can you just talk about some of that? Like, I think in, in a woman's mind and maybe in purity culture, we have a messed up view of w- what the man is actually after. Mm-hmm. And I think that changes to our ability to recognize maybe spending more time focusing on the woman's pleasure is going to enhance the man's pleasure significantly. Yeah. Yeah. And research supports that. Yeah. What do you know about like, what is the man looking for? What I mean, because outside of the act, there has to be more there. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about the sponsors of the Summers podcast series. As I mentioned earlier, one of my favorite companies, Athletic Greens, is sponsoring today's show in support of better health and sexual wellness. I did a little experiment with Athletic Greens because this isn't my first rodeo with greens powder. I wanted to know how was it actually influencing my health on a cellular level, and I have to say, the results were shocking. My little experiment included a pre- and post-analysis of micronutrient values after taking AG1 daily, or almost daily, for those four months, and the results showed it worked in powerful ways. I was able to come off nearly all of my other supplements by consuming one scoop of AG1 daily. Plus, I actually enjoyed the taste. Dare I say even crave it? 
If you're wondering how it tastes, let me tell you, it's the best tasting greens I've ever experienced. I was fully prepared for the post-green shiver. You know the one where you kind of have to force it down? But this is surprisingly delicious and refreshing. It has a slight tropical taste that is very mild. I actually look forward to it every single morning. The power is really in their quality. AG1 has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. The special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, energies recovery, focus, and aging, and even sexual wellness. It's really full body support, which is what I love the most about them and while I'll stand on the rooftops to tell you about it. I encourage you, try it out for a month and see what you think. As I mentioned, to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash made for living to get started boosting your health with one scoop a day. That's athleticgreens.com backslash made for living. I also wanted to mention one more thing before we get back to the show. I just launched and created, especially for the sexual wellness series, a program called the five-day hormone reset. It's really more than just five days, but it encompasses all the information you need to know about what your hormones actually are and how you can healthify them for men and for women. Inside this five-day hormone reset, I laid out a clear and concise plan to help you create space for your body to heal and your hormones to thrive. Because here's what I know. Hormone health is directly to tie to overall health of our body. If your body isn't healthy or safe, your reproductive system powers down, creating dysfunction in your sexual hormone release and causing all kinds of symptoms. But it's not that difficult to get back. If you give your body the space and nutrients it needs, it will do what it needs to do. It knows how to heal. We just need to give it the right environment to do so. And inside this five-day reset, I give you the exact plan you need to healthify your body, to provide the space that it needs to heal, and supply natural energy, opening up detox pathways without deprivation or starvation, or really any external medications or supplements. A program done with only real, wholesome, and delicious food designed to leave you well-fed. Plus, it comes with three 30-minute educational videos to help you understand what your hormones are, which is different than what you've been taught, and also what you need to know about your hormones depending on if you're menstruating or menopausal or even a man. Yes, this one's for men as well. Find out more and grab the mini course at thelivingwell.com backslash hormone reset and use the code ASEXTALK for $25 off throughout this series. Okay, let's get back to the show. What do you know about, like, what is a man looking for? What are, I mean, because outside of the act, there has to be more there. Of course. And of, of course, every person is different. But I think that we as a society have really done a disservice to men by perpetuating this message oh, yeah. that all they want is sex. Mm-hmm. And we assume in that message that all they want is their own pleasure. Mm-hmm. But the truth is... Of course, there are some religious beliefs about around this kind of thing for a lot of us, but we can all achieve sexual pleasure by ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. A sexual relationship is so much more Mm -hmm. than sexual pleasure. And that's the case for all people, regardless Mm -hmm. of gender, Um, especially in a long term relationship. Mm -hmm. 
we're being unfair to Mm -hmm. men, especially to say all my husband wants is sex and assume in that sentence, Mm -hmm. all my husband wants is for me to make him feel good. Mm -hmm. That's rarely the case. Mm -hmm. Is it true for some men? Probably. It's probably true for some women too, Mm -hmm. but we all want desperately to be loved and to be seen and to be accepted. And sex is a really beautiful way that we can experience full vulnerability, being naked, literally, and also kind of emotionally. We're just totally bare to this other person. And we give them the chance to accept us and love us. And all people need to feel that acceptance. They want to feel seen. They want to feel loved. And they want to give that type of feeling. Men want their partners, their wives to love sex. Mm -hmm. They just, they don't just want to do this thing so that they can have an orgasm and move on with their lives. They want their spouses to Mm -hmm. really enjoy the experience too and to feel attractive and seen and Mm -hmm. loved. That's a huge part of a sexual relationship. Mm -hmm. Sexual pleasure is just one little piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that you said that because I think at the end of the day, we're very different in our libido and the way that we work, but I think the goal is almost the same, right? It's, you know, like the, the overall goal, it's just the way to get there is maybe a little different. And I think that there's I mean, if we really look at it and with a broader view, there's a lot of benefit to being different. Like if we all achieved orgasm as fast as a man, like, I mean, would it be as intimate and, you know, like an experience as it is like, that's what makes it unique and fresh. I think is being willing to see the difference and appreciate that. Yes. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I feel sometimes I feel terrible for men because they have been really thrown under the bus and rightfully so. There are some issues that have happened in our society that have made that a problem. Um, but I think when we talk about this and, you know, like the porn industry and not to dive full deep into that, I think sometimes we've been, we've heard that men are very visual in nature, right? I mean, do you think that's true? Like their visual nature is strong? Is that in a higher yeah, level for men or is that for a lot for of both? men, for a yeah. lot of men? Yeah. But there's no way to really know if that's because they've been trained like yeah. the rest of us to sexualize yeah. the women's, uh-huh. a woman's body. And we haven't been trained. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah, it's the spontaneous desire thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They can, anything can be a sexual cue and that's more prevalent for men. Right. But I think at the core of them too, they're looking for confidence, right? Like they're looking oh, for yeah. that. And and sometimes when I get into this, and one of the reasons I wanted to do this is I, I always feel like people are like getting into health so that eventually they can look a different way and then start to live their life. And, you know, like if I can lose weight, then I'll be more attractive. If I can do this, then I'll have more desire. But I kind of want to flip the narrative and say, I kind of think that being more confident in bed, understanding like that I'm going to show up and I'm going to, you know, equally create desire. Like your husband is attracted to that, not necessarily a super skinny woman that doesn't have a desire, right? Like, and in the process of that, how do you see that a healthy sexual relationship? I mean, you're in the space. I'm not really in this as much, but like, how do you see that changing how a woman presents themselves, how a man and a woman presents themselves in the world? Yeah. Does that question make sense? No, totally. 
Yeah, totally. I, I wish that more individuals allowed their sexual relationship to change the way that they show up in the world. Mm. So you don't think it's happening. Mm -hmm. I do think it's happening for a lot of people, but, but not enough. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, but when we still are holding on to these narratives mm-hmm. that all our partner wants is like skinny waist and huge boobs and huge yeah. butt, you know, like if if we're holding on to the narrative that we are not mm-hmm. the ideal that our partner wants, mm-hmm. we won't be able to to allow ourselves to be completely seen, to accept ourselves in that space. But when we can realize like, actually my husband chose me, Mm -hmm. including my body. That's not the most important part about me, but he chose Mm -hmm. that too. Mm -hmm. And I am what he wants. Mm -hmm. If I wasn't, he wouldn't have married me. Yeah. And realizing that no matter what I look like, or how big my backside is, which is not big for mm-hmm. those of you who don't know me. I'm sure you <laughs> wanted to know that, <laughs> but right. it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. What matters is that I'm showing up with this, this person that I love so much and recognizing that he accepts me just mm-hmm. the way that I am is really empowering. Mm-hmm. It can be if we allow it to be. Mm-hmm. But most often I think we are the ones as women who are holding this ideal over our own heads. Mm, of yeah. course, there are unhealthy relationships where there is a spouse who pushes their partner to lose weight or to do other things that's unhealthy and unfair. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I think we're the ones that are like, oh, yeah. Yeah he would like me more if I looked mm-hmm. this way, Yeah, which means we can let go of that mm-hmm. in our sexual relationship. And then that carries over into the rest of our lives. Yeah. I can choose to show up as I am, regardless mm-hmm. of body shape or size or stretch marks or cellulite. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like the most important message right there is right. Like sometimes we are our own, a lot of times our own worst enemies and Mm -hmm. we've created narratives and stories that are untrue and unfair. Um, and I think that alone is just so damaging and, and we've done it in all aspects of our life. But why I think this topic is so important is because sex is the one area that really does. If we look at health, combine the whole of who we are, you know, like there's very few things that we do that is mind, body, and soul, Mm -hmm. but sex and intimacy. And because it's connection, it's creativity. It's more than just having sex, right? Like when we look at sexual desire or libido, like what are some of the things outside of just sex that it does for our life or our relationships or our anything? Mm -hmm. Are you, wait, let me see if I understood correctly. What benefits does libido have for the rest of our life or like sexual relationship? What benefits does that have for the rest of our lives? I mean, I think both of it. Like, I think sometimes you think about sexual wellness just as the physical act of sex, but what outside of that are we gaining? from working on this, from, you know, doing this work? I think everything, Mm -hmm. and that sounds dramatic, but I personally believe that God 
gave us the gift of sex, including our capacity for sexual Mm -hmm. pleasure, our ability to engage in sexual relationships with another person. I think that God gifted us with those things because Mm -hmm. he knew that it could be a source of joy and fulfillment Mm -hmm. and a way to connect and a way to experience confidence and acceptance. I mean, Sex is kind of this little microcosm mm-hmm. of yeah. everything that we want out of life. We want things like joy and pleasure and fun and creativity, yeah. like you mentioned, but we also want this sweet connection and we want to be seen. We want to be loved. We want to be cherished. Mm-hmm sex allows for that. We also want to be adventurous and, you know, we kind of want to sometimes act like we're a little bit more confident than we might be. (laughs) We want this other side too. And sex allows for that. It's, Mm -hmm. it's this perfect little, it can be Mm -hmm. this perfect little setup to experience Mm -hmm. so many of the things that we want out of life. Mm-hmm. But without consistent effort, without mm-hmm. education, without two partners who are willing mm-hmm. to give and to receive, those things won't happen. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, this is kind of the big question, but how do you help people have better sex? Like, what are a few tips and big, big takeaways that you could give? <laughs> You're, I'm going to sound like a broken record, Alexa, but education is always the first thing that I recommend. Mm -hmm. There are so many good resources. If you're looking for Christian resources, there are so many good Christian Mm -hmm. resources. If you're looking for research-based sex info, if you're looking for specific things about sexual mindfulness or tantric sex was one of the things that was um, brought up. There are so many good resources that are Mm -hmm. research-based and they're not really kinky or wild, you know, there is that if you want it, but I think a lot of couples are just so scared because they're like, what am I going to (laughs) get if I seek out this education? So that's the first step. Uh Communication of course is a huge one, Mm -hmm. but for a lot of couples, better sex comes with an acceptance Mm -hmm. of their role as a giver and a receiver. Mm, mm -hmm. That's kind of a pain point for a lot of couples. And part of that is we are socialized as women Mm -hmm. to be desirable, Mm -hmm. but not to be the desirer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, and on the flip side, men are socialized to be the one who wants Mm. And women are socialized to be Mm -hmm. wanted. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of couples have this dynamic where the woman just feels like she needs to be the one who is wanted. She isn't Mm going to be the one who's initiating or the one who's seeking pleasure or anything like that. And just switching that one thing can be so helpful. Mm. Just getting to a place where both of you recognize that you are worthy of pleasure, Mm -hmm. that you're worth the time and energy it will take for you to experience pleasure. And both of you can recognize that your body can create incredible pleasure for your partner. Mm -hmm. This give and receive dynamic, when Mm -hmm. couples can figure that out, 
sex changes so much. It's not Mm -hmm. a performance. It's not something that you just do really quickly so that you can go to bed. It's an opportunity to love your spouse through sex Mm -hmm. and to allow them to love you back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like new conditioning, right? It's like a new, a new story, a new narrative, really. It's just changing the paradigm because Mm -hmm. so much I think of what people struggle with is just the story they believed or been told that's so toxic. And really it's just unlearning that to learn the truth. And Mm -hmm. again, I think we're all more the same than we are different at the end of the day. And it's just learning that, like, I think all of this information is so amazing and so on point. And I think it's just freedom, you know, like I think so many people are just held in this place where sex feels scary and overwhelming and we don't feel like we're enough. And, you know, we don't know if we're doing it right or wrong or how many times you should be having sex. But, and that's the question I got is like, how many times should people be having sex? But that's, that's so subjective, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, there can't be an answer to that. Well, not one that people want. No. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The answer to how much sex should you be having Mm -hmm. is the amount of sex that feeds your relationship, Mm. but doesn't put pressure on the low desire partner and doesn't leave the high desire partner feeling totally neglected. It's different for every couple. Right. But it's not like a number we can check off. Like it's like what people want in the diet space. Like tell me how many calories I can eat, but it's so subjective. Like it's going to take a little bit of time. Yeah. Totally. And in different life stages. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Mm -hmm. different for every couple and then different in every scenario in every life stage. Yeah. So, but that's kind of a good thing mm-hmm. because sex is something that it's really easy to just get into the humdrum of life. And, you know, we have sex once a week and we just do it. We know it's going to happen. We do our thing. Mm-hmm. It can be really easy to get caught up in the routine, like everything in mm-hmm. life. I think it's kind of a blessing that our bodies and our desires and our life circumstances change often enough to encourage us to return to that communication and say, actually, once a week is not working for me right now, what do differently, or Mm -hmm. actually that thing that used to be really pleasurable for me, Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not doing it for me anymore. What can we change? That communication needs to keep happening in order Mm -hmm. for us to have the kind of sexual relationship that we want to have. That's vibrant and pleasurable and full of love. So those changes are actually a good thing. I know that that's not something that people want to hear, but (laughs) yeah, but I feel like there's also an excitement to that too, to be like, you know, like we shouldn't be doing the same thing all the time. And there's an excitement level of like, it should change and that should be exciting and keep us in kind of like more of that spontaneous, like adventurous spirit, because I think deep down, we all desire that in some level. Yeah, totally. It's a built in spark. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah but it takes constant communication, like you said, Mm -hmm. you know, and just being better about that. So before we go, I have a few questions that people have gotten that are a lot more specific, um, more due to body anatomy. And so I just want to ask those if you're okay with that. Yeah, perfect. Okay. So I got a question of do women ejaculate and what is this information about squirting? Like, should women be quote unquote squirting, whatever (laughs) that is? Should they? No. (laughs) I mean, there's really no should in sex Mm -hmm. with anything. Can women squirt? Mm -hmm. Yes. It's, it doesn't happen for every woman. Some women think that they're just peeing. And in Mm -hmm. some cases, if you maybe need some pelvic floor physical therapy, that may be the case, but squirting is essentially there's 
glands called the Skeen's glands. And when you experience orgasm, they can release fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, it doesn't increase pleasure. It doesn't, it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's just a thing. If you yeah. want to try to get to the point where you can squirt great, but I don't see any need to do that because it doesn't change your experience except mm. then you're a little bit more wet. And if you yeah. don't have a towel, your bed sheets are also wet. <laughs> So it's not like something that's going to enhance pleasure. It's relatively just, it's just a bodily function essentially. Right. It's just, as far as we know right Mm -hmm. now, I'm sure that now that this is kind of picked up traction, Mm -hmm. at least online, that -hmm. there might be some more research on squirting. But as far as we know right now, it's, it's not more Mm -hmm. pleasure though. It does often, it does occur more often for women if they've had multiple orgasms, right? Mm. Like it it happens later on in a sexual encounter, but it's not squirting in and of itself. Doesn't increase pleasure. Do you think the attractiveness of that just came from like the porn industry? Yes. A hundred percent. I mean, it's kind of like when you talk about hair, no hair, like, again, we, we put standards on a woman's body and Mm -hmm. sometimes men, I mean, men have to feel equally Mm -hmm. concerned about their own bodies based off of that, that are, I mean, Yeah, it's porn has, (laughs) has really permeated our sexual culture, even for those of us who haven't been exposed to a lot Mm -hmm. of that content, the messaging is still prevalent. So Mm -hmm. squirting has become this new goal for women Mm -hmm. or for partners of women to try and get their woman to squirt because they think that it's this ultimate sign of pleasure. It's not. Uh It's just another part of an orgasm for some women. I feel like we need to get to the point where we recognize that the porn industry is also incredibly fake and, Uh um, the bar should not be set there. No, (laughs) just remove the bar altogether because what we're seeing is not always reality or real life, right? Right. It's it's still a produced image. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Disconnecting that. mm -hmm, Not only that, but. Porn also leaves out a lot of the parts of sex that we actually want. Like there's Mm. no hand holding and Mm -hmm. saying, I love you and living life together in pornography. And we actually do want that. We want Mm -hmm. the belonging. We want Mm -hmm. the sweetness. We even want the, Mm -hmm. sometimes we're butting heads because that's what life is. Mm -hmm. Porn just isn't realistic in any form. (laughs) Yeah. And that's truly where the addiction comes in. Like when you see like the brain studies of the addictiveness of, of porn is because it, it skyrockets, right? Like adrenaline and like our reward Mm -hmm. systems, but there's Mm -hmm. no satisfaction. So you plummet where like when you actually have sexual intimacy, it rises and it stays there. And you know, like it steadily, like it just, it fuels that connection, but doing that, you know, trying to create pleasure without connection, there's a big disconnect. There is. Yeah. It's like, we know it's not real, but then we become addicted to it because that's what we think it's going to take. But then we lose our ability to function normally in some, in some regard. Novelty, novelty is something that we're drawn to. It's Mm -hmm. totally normal Mm -hmm. to be really aroused when we see something pornographic, or it's really normal to be drawn to this novelty in Mm -hmm. sex, but it's not, it's not what we really want in a sexual relationship. Some novelty, awesome, totally all for it. Mm -hmm. 
but we need more than novelty to create a healthy and lasting sexual Mm -hmm. relationship. Yeah. So good. Okay. Can you orgasm while you sleep? And is that technically what a wet dream is for a man? Yeah. So all people, regardless of gender can orgasm during their sleep Mm -hmm. and Wet dreams are, like you mentioned in the question, when a man ejaculates as a part of an orgasm during sleep. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, especially in purity culture, are really concerned about it. They feel like they've done something wrong if they have a sexy dream and then orgasm. Or sometimes there's not even a sexy dream, at least not that you remember, but you just orgasm in your sleep. It's totally normal. Mm -hmm. It means that your body's functioning the way that it should. It's nothing to be worried about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. And then the last question we have is how do you feel about tantric sex? And maybe explain what it is. Cause I feel like some people maybe don't know what it is, but I think what she was alluding to is this, is this something that's healthy or unhealthy? And maybe even coming from the Christian space, like, is this something that is okay to pursue? Oh yeah. So I'm definitely not an expert on tantric Mm -hmm. sex. So if you're interested in learning about it, I'm not the person to go to, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but basically in very simple terms, tantric sex is kind of this slow meditative sex that's focused on mindfulness, focused Mm -hmm. on the experience that you're having with your spouse, what you're feeling And it's not motivated by trying to get to Mm -hmm. um, orgasm or trying to get to the end. It's just about living in the current moment. Mm -hmm. Mindful sex is a, is a more popular thing to that's studied right now. Mm -hmm. Tantric sex and sexual mindfulness have a lot of overlap. They're a lot the same, (laughs) Yeah, but it does. I mean, we see really, really good things happening Mm -hmm. when couples are able to practice mindfulness during sex. Mm -hmm. Absolutely go for it. Like having Mm -hmm. really slow sex sometimes is such a beautiful way to make sex more about connection, Mm -hmm. more about emotional connection, more about loving on your spouse or your partner and just enjoying the moment together. So I think it's a really good way to mix up your sex life a little bit and focus on different things Mm -hmm. as far as what's okay and not okay for Christian couples. That's one of the most common questions I get is, is blank. Okay. For Christian couples (laughs) and tantric sex. I mean, I see absolutely no reason why it wouldn't be. It doesn't go against any Christian Uh teachings, not even a little bit. In fact, I think it aligns really well. That's what I was going to say. But I think it's important for all Christian couples to recognize that anything we've heard from leaders or teachers or parents about what is and isn't okay in a sexual relationship is hopefully well-meaning, but opinions. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are the only teaching that we learn from the Bible, as far as I'm aware, though, I'm definitely not a Bible scholar is that you shouldn't have sex with someone else when you're married to someone, right? Like (laughs) we're taught about not committing adultery 
Other than that, the things that happen between you and your spouse in the bedroom are up to you. Both Mm -hmm. of you need to feel comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. Both of you need to be able to speak up if you Mm -hmm. are trying something and then you aren't comfortable. Mm -hmm. But aside from that, vibrators, positions, other toys, where you have sex, when you have sex, how often you have sex, what sex looks like, all of those things are completely up to you Mm -hmm. and your spouse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was so beautifully said. And I, and I think when it comes to tantric sex, I I know where she's coming from when she asked that, because I think technically it it was birthed out of a specific religion, Mm -hmm. but I also think that and I see this a lot with body things that are really great for our body, that a lot of these practices are quote unquote birth out of other religions. But I think the idea also stemmed originally from the Bible, right? Of mm-hmm. a lot of these are God-given things and who, I, I mean, I, I can't imagine anything less than God's design was to fully enjoy and be mindful and the act of sex and take your Absolutely. time and not just look for that, that achievement of the climax, but to connect and and I think that is so important in this space that we're talking about is it's not just get in and get it done. It's, it's the true connection of it. Mm-hmm. And that really changes the body. And I love that you mentioned, you know, like there, when you're consenting with your partner and you're in that relationship, that is good. Right. But I think the last point I want you to make, because I have followed you and I love that you say this, that consent is very needed inside of a marriage too. Mm-hmm. And I think that could be missed because we have this whole uh, Me Too movement, right? And we know consent outside of a marriage, but I think there's a fine line there that says, no, I, I also get a say. <laughs> and Absolutely. that's important. Respecting in both ways. Absolutely. And that's a big problem specifically in Christian couples because mm-hmm. there's one verse in the Bible that we take out of context and use it to pressure people Mm -hmm. into never saying no to their spouse. Mm -hmm. I cannot imagine that a God who gifted us the opportunity Mm -hmm. to make choices from the beginning of humankind would ever want us to be in Mm -hmm. a relationship where we don't get to make choices anymore. Mm -hmm. Whenever sex happens in a marriage, just like outside of a marriage, you need enthusiastic consent from your partner. Yeah. And they can say no. No is always an option. Yeah. But no does not mean rejecting your partner, right? Like it's, it's, it's seasonal. It's cyclical. There's other things that may be going on in life. And I think, you know, we can't take that as an act on either case of like, oh, they just don't like me or, you know, like start to make assumptions. But I think that is so important because I think that's the one issue in that purity culture. I mean, there's a lot of issues, but that big issue is like you give to the man (laughs) and you do it when they need it. But I can't help but think that can't be pleasurable for the man either. (laughs) Like, no, nobody wants court. that. Yeah. Nobody wants that kind right? of relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Okay. I could talk to you forever. I know. Same. <laughs> We're way over time. Um, but thank you so much for being on and being vulnerable. And I just love the voice and just you creating a safe place for people to learn and to know their bodies and to know this is good and okay and God given. Yeah. Um, and so where can people follow you? And you have some amazing courses, like maybe give us an idea of like what you think might be the best place to start with some of the stuff that you do. Okay. So start on my Instagram because it's free 99 and you can kind of get a feel for how I teach. So you can find me on Instagram, just search the Christian sex educator 
and find me there. And then you can kind of see my teaching style and the type of content that I provide. If you're interested in more in-depth content, you can go to my website, which is thechristiansexeducator.com. And I have several free resources there as well for individuals and couples, some discussion guides if you're working on the communication piece with your partner, Um, and then a couple of more in-depth courses. Right now available is the Honeymoon course, which is a course for couples who are preparing to get married and who are transitioning into sexual activity with marriage. And then the Newlywed course, which is for married couples. I initially created it for couples within the first decade of marriage, but currently I have couples in the course anywhere from they've been married for a few months to Mm -hmm. the longest that I'm aware of is currently 40 years of marriage. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. (laughs) Because if you never got this education, then you need the newlywed education, right? So that's available as well. Yeah. Awesome. I will make sure and link all that up in the show notes. Um, I've been following, I, you're going to love it. This is why I had Carly <laughs> in the show because she's one of my favorite people talking in this space in a way that is so real and relatable and safe. And I think opens the door to a lot of questions that people have. Um, and so thank you so much for being here and sharing your knowledge. I'll make sure and link all of that up in the show notes as well as some of those courses. Um, and yeah, follow along. So thank you so much, Carly, for being here. Thanks so much for having me. This has been so fun. I love talking with Carly, and I feel like this was the perfect way to kick off this series. That's right. There are nine more episodes inside the sex talk that get released every Wednesday morning. Make sure you hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to stay informed and up to date, as well as follow along at thelivingwell.com. If you're looking for a way to boost your libido this summer, you can head to thelivingwell.com backslash the sex talk to get that free guide to boost your libido and healthify your sexual wellness. Now, this guide isn't just for women. There's one specifically for men as well. So download it and get both of them for free at thelivingwell.com backslash the sex talk. And while you're there, don't forget to check out all the additional resources and blog posts you need to revamp or ignite your own sexual wellness. Next week, I'll be coming on the show to talk about women's libido. And trust me, it's not what you think, and yet it's so much easier to boost. Let me tell you how next week, right here on Wednesday morning. And as always, if you love the show, make sure you rate and review it. To do that, head to thelivingwell.com backslash review. You send me a screenshot of that rating and review, I'll send you back a free gift as a thank you for helping me out in that way. And of course, make sure you share it with your friends and family. It truly does mean the world to me. Okay, I'll see you back here next week. And in the meantime, don't forget to head to thelivingwell.com to grab that free download and check out all the other helpful blogs and information that will help boost your sexual wellness this summer.